all your needs to the Lord. He is so willing and able to help you, so bring all your needs to I'm even impressed that I got that high. <laughs> Let's sing Emmanuel in C. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. His name is called Emmanuel.
sing it one more time. so thankful for that lamb that did. want to welcome you to the service this evening. I uh, hope you all feel welcome here. It's good to see everybody. We want to welcome everybody that is streaming, that's at home. We ask that you will just be able to enter right in with us and to worship with us. It's good to have our visitors here with us. It's good to see Brother Wayne and Sister Faye, their family. They're not really visitors, so it's good to have them here with us as well. Um, let's sing, or if you could play one more song there while we uh, take some prayer requests. I'm going to ask Brother Steve if he'll come and uh, open the service and we're prayer and take some uh, prayer requests before the throne. We want to remember um, the Hughes, uh, 
drums as well. Uh, Brother Peter is working, so we want to remember him. Uh, we want to remember uh, Sister Becky. She had to go up to Northern Virginia today, so we want to remember her. Brother Jaron is working as well tonight. Uh, the crosses are on vacation, so we want to remember them. We want to remember Brother Caleb Homeover. He's up in Massachusetts on vacation. Brother Keith is traveling. He's in Cheyenne tonight. So, I mean, I'm sure if he's not driving, he's on the side of the road streaming. So, uh, I'm sure he's singing right along with us. So, we miss Brother Keith. We want to continue to remember Brother Tom, who's recovering at home from surgery. And we also want to remember the McGarrys that are uh, traveling their way in northern Virginia there as well. What are you playing? I just want to I just want to be where you are. reach out in faith, Lord, and just dwell in that presence. Lord, may you wipe away all the sorrow, all the issues, all the trials just for a few moments as we've gathered together tonight. May you touch our hearts in only a way that you can. May you lift those up who are going through many of the issues that the righteous go through. May you encourage us, Lord. May you instruct us. Then we also ask you to give us the courage to respond to the things that you want to say. Lord, the many that are traveling, we ask that your traveling mercies would be upon them. I know that they'd want to be here tonight and be with their families. Be with them. Lord, keep us safe health-wise and just physically. Lord, the many who are struggling with health issues, we ask and claim their healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that you are our healer. 
and you heal all our diseases. Lord, we give this service into your hands in just the brief few moments that we've gathered together. We allow you to have the preeminence in our hearts and our minds. We love you and we thank you so much. We thank you for this time together. Bless the remainder of this service and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we ask and do we pray. Amen. Turn and wave to your neighbors. <laughs> and then I uh, want to welcome everybody. You may have your seats. We're going to sing, um, There is Power in the Blood. Amen. Aren't you thankful for power in the blood? Amen. Amen. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Victory win. There's wonderful power in the blood. Amen. Oh, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Of the Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now, Power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the again verse 4 would you do service for Jesus your king would you live daily his praises to sing amen when we're going through hard times the world's a little crazy right now we still live our life daily amen his praises to sing 
times or sad times, hard times, Lord, lead me. I'm going to follow. Amen. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, problem we hold and about every situation we face. You're a God of consolation. You're a God of peace. You're a God of mercy. And Lord, you're a God who has all the answers for the questions and the problems that we face. We thank you, Lord, because in you we have hope. In this world we have confusion. But in you we have hope and we have great trust. 
Father, we pray now that you would just bless this little study tonight. Lord, may we be enriched and strengthened when we leave this place. And Lord, there are several people who are not here who ordinarily would be here. And I lift them into your hands tonight. We bring them before you in faith and ask that you would just draw near to them and give them strength, allow your healing virtue to flow to them. Lord, calm every anxious heart. And Lord, take away fear, because we know that fear does not come from you. We just want to say we love you tonight. Thank you for this opportunity we have to be here. And we ask, Lord, that you'd forgive us of anything that might hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. How many are glad to be in God's house tonight? It's just a breath of fresh air, isn't it? Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go and look in the Scripture. Good to have all of you here today. And uh, tonight, may God bless you, visitors and friends, and may the Lord bless you richly. How will I know? How do you know what you're supposed to know? This is a short study on the subject of spiritual discernment, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll read a couple of very familiar verses of Scripture. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, and I love this little section of it. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and may the Lord bless you as you take your seats tonight. Well, I'm going to jump right in and uh, just start this evening here and uh, I just want to say it's good to have all of you here that uh, maybe we're not here uh, last Sunday or good to have Brother Wayne, Sister Faye here and and uh, for all of you that uh, were here Sunday, welcome back. How's that? That, encom- that encompasses everybody. Sometimes I'll do this because I, I, just, I just feel led or I get a certain word that runs over in my mind. Uh, and Brother Random said sermons sometimes come like simple math. He said they'll start like two times two. And he said that just runs over in your mind. And then two times two times two times two times two times two times two. And he said it's just like a snowball rolling down the hill. It just gets bigger and bigger. Sometimes I'll get a word that just sticks. And the word that I was looking at and thinking about this week was uh, the word discern. I went back and I looked at some previous things that I had said on this subject, and this is something that's important to any believer. And then uh, I just, uh, it was just one of those things where uh, it exploded a little bit, and I, I began to look at it perhaps in a richer way, or, or it was revealed to me in, in a richer way. There's not a one of us that are here tonight that are, that are Christians, that uh, you know, we're, we're indifferent about the will of God. We want to know the will of God. And we, we want to know that we're right. We want to know what is right, and we want to know that we're right, and we want to know, uh, even though we, we're not allowed or we're not permitted to look into the future, we want to have leadership in our lives so that we can progress in the right direction in the right way. And uh, 
it, it is a it, it is in a, in a sense a very uh, real walk by faith. When we talk about the will of God and, and spiritual discernment, making choices in the world we live in today. Uh, there is a real deficit of trust in our world, uh, in the natural world, right? I, I think we would probably all agree, and I don't want to expound on this because I find it to be a uh, just a pointless uh, discussion, in this sense that. Uh, you know, if you're going to put your trust in a party or in politics or in something, some other like that, uh, you know, it, it just, it just seems, it, it becomes very frustrating. And there's a crisis of trust in our world. Uh, we don't know who's telling the truth. Um, and sometimes you're wondering, are you even believing? You know, not, not in terms of the message, but, uh, you know, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I do this? Should I not do that? Should I go out? Should I stay in? And all the other things that are associated with that. And as a result, people become indifferent uh, to everything. They'll say, well, I'm just not going to have anything to do with anything. And they draw back from it. And as a result, you know, there's damage that's, that's done as a result of that. I'm, I'm thankful that I've said this before and I'll say it again. And you'll hear me say it often. I'm very thankful that we have such a clear, distinct voice that sounded in this last day. And God raised up an absolute that we can look at, it still has a capital A in my book. It's not a small A. It is a capital A in my book. And no matter what else falls apart, we can turn back to the Word of God and believe that that's absolutely true. It is God-breathed. God's Word is God-breathed. It is actually the breath of God, the mind of God, the expression of God. And I'll hang on to that. And more and more as I get older, that becomes more precious to me becomes more of value to me. And I, I just I, I love to go back to it all the time and test things and run things by the Word of God to know whether things are right or not. Because my opinion really doesn't matter a great deal. Now, in, discernment is a very important thing to God. And you'll see this as we, as we roll through here. But I want to deal uh, extensively on, on the definition of the Word tonight for a little while. As a matter of fact, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, exaggerate the definition of, of the word here, uh, the word discernment. Now, <clears throat> there was a, a story told uh, years ago of a man who went to Jordan. He was a minister or like a uh, student of the Word of God, and he went to Jordan, and he, was, he, was, he wanted to, to study the culture and life of the Middle East. And he got in tow with a shepherd, a Bedouin shepherd over there who was roaming around the hills. And you'll still see them if you go there. And this is a conversation, a little snippet of a conversation that was recorded uh, between this, uh, this minister and this shepherd. And he asked him, he said, how many sheep and goats do you have? This is about 20 years ago. He said, oh, I have about 2,000. I have the biggest flock in this area. And he said, well, how many did you start with? He said, well, I only started with one in 1984. I still know every one of them. They're like family to me, 2,000 of them since A.E. 4. He said, with that many, how do you still know every one of them? He said, well, yes. He said, I'm with the flock every day. Although I have a home in the village, I stay with them during the summer or when we go on a migration, and I, I, I must personally supervise the care of the sheep or I wouldn't be a shepherd. He said, it's a thing of the soul, not a business. It's a thing of the soul, not a business. So he was not just a hireling, in other words. He's somebody who did it with passion. He did it because he loved the sheep. He did it because he, uh, he claimed them as his own. And, and that's what he referred to. It is not a business. It's not just, a, you know, he's paid to do this, and that's why he's there. 
I read that because I, I, it was kind of an indirect way of saying that I care about uh, every one of you and every one of you finding the will of God. And the will of God can be, uh, it can be very clear in, at some points in your life. It can be very, uh, very obvious in some points in your life. And then there are other times when you, you're faced with these, uh, with, with these kinds of situations that are best depicted here. Uh, there's two roads that are uh, available to you, and you're not sure which one should I take. You're faced with a decision. You come to this point in the, in the road, and you've got to decide, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go left or right? Both of them look okay. And so I need to know what is the will of God for me. So for me, when it comes to the sheep, I, I'm very much concerned about uh, our young people and, and them making decisions and choices uh, because there are some decisions and choices they're going to make that are going to affect the rest of their life. And then there's other decisions that we make even later in life that are important, and they affect our family. They affect, you know, the remaining portion of our life. But no matter at what stage in life you're in, we all want to be found on on the mark. We want to be found doing the right thing at the right time. Now, Brother Branham says we should have a discernment on everything that we do. Everything that we do. It ought to be measured by the Word of God. All that Christians do, those are four really weighty words. All that Christians do. I mean, that involves your finances. That involves how you interact with your wife. That involves where you spend your, vac- your vacation, right? All, everything that a Christian does and says, uh-oh, should be measured by the Word of God. Everything that you do and everything that you say should be measured by the Word of God. That's quite a, that's quite a statement. All right, let's look at the word discernment then. It, it is, a, it is a, a richer and a deeper concept than just deciding. When we talk about discerning, we're doing more than just deciding. We're not just saying... Uh, you know, when your, your, uh, your wife says, hey, let's go out for dinner, and you say, oh, okay, great, let's go. Where do you want to go? She says, it doesn't matter. So you decide. Let me tell you, the moment you did, you just made the wrong decision. Now, I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, just for some of you folks that might not have been here, here's how you do it. You say to your wife, honey, guess where I'm taking you tonight for dinner? And she'll say, the farmhouse. you say, that's exactly right. Let me tell you, it works every time, all right? It works every time. Making decisions is, sorry, some of, you, some of your sisters who had respect for me, they're just looking at me saying, why does he do that? Why does he do that? Making decisions is important. We're faced with that constantly. But discernment is to see beyond just the external attributes of something and and, and begin to wade into the significance of um, th- this decision that we're going to make. Discern comes from two Latin words, which uh, dis, like distance, means something that is off or away. And cernere is the Latin word for distinguishing. And we find the word sift in there, S-I-F-T. So when we discern... We are actually sifting or we're distinguishing something that is afar off. 
we're looking at something that may not be in front of us or the outcome of it may not be in front of us, it might be farther away. And so, therefore, we want to sift carefully. We want to discern or set apart or divide something very carefully in order to make the, deci- in order to make the right decision. So, discern- certainly, uh, discernment is a part of every decision that we make. We could say it that way. So, to discern is to distinguish or sort out what is of God, what is of the flesh, the world, or even the devil. It is to distinguish or sort out. I've got to sort out, is this of God? Is this of the flesh? Is this me speaking? Is this of the world? Or is this the devil actually trying to distract me? As such, discernment in its root meaning is something that ought to precede a decision and aid in making one. So we want, in order to make good decisions, we're going to have to use discernment in order to do that because we're wanting to look a little bit farther off uh, than, than just at the surface of things here. Strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 5. And Paul is referring to the end times here. And he is talking, when, when, when the word full age is used in the Greek, it means harvest. So strong meat, or the, the, the full strength of the word, belongs to them who live in the harvest time. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. One of the things that God knew we'd have in this last day is a multitude of denominations and denominational spirits and denominational ideas. Back in the dark age, it was, it was either the, the, the Catholic Church or believers. Or, and, and the rest of the people were unbelievers, right? They had no association with God or the church at all. And really, it was very simplistic back then. And it was only when the reformers, after Martin Luther and Knox and Finney and Calvin, they came and they had uh, different ideas, John Knox and Presbyterianism and all the other uh, different uh, branches of the tree grew out. That's where we had the multitude of denominational ideas come in. And not only grew, right, the Baptists and the Anabaptists and the Southern Baptists and the Fundamental Baptists and the Hardshell Baptists and all the other kind of Baptists that there are. And sorry for any Baptists that might be here, but uh, there, you know, there, there's all kinds of branches on that tree. So now we have a multitude of ideas. Well, now you've got to have your senses exercised to discern what's coming from God and what's not. Because there are a lot of good speakers, there's a lot of good programs, there's a lot of building that goes on, there's a lot of uh, you know, religious activity. you just got to discern what's coming from God and what's not. I'm thankful that we did not have to discern that up here, but rather God placed something in our lives. In our, he actually placed something by predestination in us that would pick up the voice of God when it sounded in your age. And it, was, it, was, it, was, it transcended intellect. It's above intellect. It's not that you listen to Brother Benham and figure it out, now that's right, that's better. That, that actually blends with all the scriptures. You didn't do that. There was something about Brother Bram's voice, about, about the message of the hour when you heard it. Let me tell you, I don't know how, but I know that's right. I just know that's right. And then over time, your senses were exercised. Your senses were exercised like little babies. They're not born with all their muscles developed. They exercise them, and they learn to, uh, you know, walk and get up and sit up and roll over and do all the other things that they do until they develop more agility and more ability. They don't have it all when they're born. It's there potentially, but they exercise it until they're able to walk and run and then run away. And so it, it's, a, it's a developmental process for us as well as for 
uh, in the natural. Now, in the, in the scripture reading that we have, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Paul divides the, uh, he divides mankind, if you like, into three categories here. And you'll find it in the footnotes of, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 if you have a Schofield Bible. And he talks about natural man. Uh, a man who is, you know, by us, he's just born a natural person. And then secondly, there is a, uh, a man who is unregenerated, uh, someone who's in an unconverted state. And then, of course, there's a spiritual man. And so Paul describes all of these three uh, in his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's one of the, one of the classic uh, teachings of, of all of uh, St. Paul in the New Testament there, and it's absolutely tremendous. But he says, a natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. I was reading today that, uh, you know, there, are, uh, th- there were people trying to help uh, define a logo. Uh, and, and this article, I just re- I didn't read the art- whole article, I just saw the headline. But they were helping, trying to help Joe Biden develop a logo for his campaign, uh, for his, for his uh, election run. And the first phrase of that, or the first part was, it said, trust science. Trust or honor science. That was the first thing that they, they put into this logo. You know, like, make America great again. They were wanting to, the first thing they wanted them to do was trust science. Uh, in, in other words, uh, th- there are some people who look at the world and look at where we are and look at the solutions as entirely natural or physical. God has nothing to do with it at all. All right? That's what I'm saying. It must have been like the people, kind of like in Noah's day, who looked around and said, hey, trust science. You know what? Scientists have proven to us there is no rain. So we don't need to worry about it at all. Trust science. And that is the, they're trying to make that one of the hallmarks or the characteristics of his campaign. First of all, is to trust science. So whatever, uh, you know, whatever the scientists say, you know, that's what we had to believe, and whatever politicians say is what we had to believe. Now, Paul is saying that if, if you're there, he says you're going to have trouble with the Spirit of God and what he reveals. You're going to have trouble with that. Because somebody who is natural and believes that way has trouble with spiritual things. They have trouble with the concept of faith. Right? We believe we're living at the end of the world. Why? Because the Bible says so. Well, why is the Bible true? Because, because God said so. Well, we don't believe in God. Well, I mean, where do we start? I mean, how do we, how do we converse, right? We gotta have something, you know, we gotta have something that we can agree on as a basis for arguing before we can argue. So, a natural man views things very differently to the spiritual man. But a spiritual man does not just take it because somebody says it. They are, the, the things of God are spiritually discerned. And he judges all things. It doesn't say that he judges all people, but he judges all things. Now, let's look at that word judge for a minute here. And this is the, the idea that I want to exaggerate a little bit. The word judge here is to investigate, and there's the word sift again. Now, I was a sifter. I wish Peter was here tonight, because Peter's a sifter too. And he came, came by very naturally. When we were young boys, we got a piece of screen, and we built a frame, and we would shovel dirt into that frame for hours on end and sift dirt, take the rocks out and get really nice dirt. Now, in Newfoundland, uh, there's more rocks than dirt, uh, because it is a very, very rocky place. 
As a matter of fact, when I came to the States first, in my very first time I, I, I came to live in the States, and my wife wanted to put out a garden, I'd never seen anybody. I'd never seen a kitchen garden. I'd never seen anybody grow corn and beans and taters and strawberries and things like that. Never. I'd never seen that before. My wife says, we want to we have a garden. I said, well, great. To me, a garden was tulips or a rose bush or something like that. That's what I always thought a garden was. So Brother Fulcher arrives up, and he has a little uh, tool that he uses, and he goes out. And they, there was a, a place by the side of our house that we were renting. This was in Ohio. And he got out there, and he sifted around in the dirt. And I went out and stood there and marvel at the fact that in all of that area, which is about the size of the platform here, there wasn't one rock. I couldn't get over it. I mean, it took me weeks to, you know, I, I investigated. I got down on my hands and knees, looked around. Not a rock. In Newfoundland, we had lots of rocks. All I'm saying is that we would sift and sift and sift and sift until we got really fine dirt. It was really nice. We loved the fine dirt, free of anything uh, that was in any kind of an obstruction or any kind of a, you know, uh, uh, something that didn't belong there. The word judge here or discern is like our English word sift. It means to scrutinize something. And in a forensic sense, and this is the definition of it, so bear with me. In a forensic sense of a judge to hold an investigation, to, to, to determine excellence or defect of a person or a thing. And fundamentally, discernment is the ability to judge well. And all of us want to have that. Whether it's choices we make or people we interact with, discernment is the gift of recognizing the moral and practical consequences of our decisions. So when it comes to judging well, parents constantly are making judgments for their children. This is the kind of kids we want to associate with. These are the kinds of activities we're going to participate in. And so fundamentally, fundamentally, discernment is the ability to judge well. In a forensic sense, now forensics is, is kind of a, uh, you know, a modern word which is very popular, and forensic science is a big deal. Let me just exaggerate this a little bit, all right? So bear with me, bear with me. Everybody bearing? There is forensic accounting and forensic auditing, which is a very powerful tool that investigators will use when there's any kind of skullduggery or fraud or tax evasion or something like that. Forensic accountants will go back and they'll sift through mountains of data in computers and hard drives and they'll go back and they'll look for irregularities. This is his paycheck, auto-deposited every week, paid his tithes, did this, paid his tithes, and everybody said. And then, you know, did this, this, you know, light bill, food bill, this is roughly how he paid. And all of a sudden there's a $50,000 deposit in here, you know, or, or something like this. They'll look for, they'll sift. It's not obvious, but they got to sift and they got to go through there and, and uh, with a fine-tooth comb and they'll look at it and they'll try to find irregularities in there. And that tells the judge ex exactly what went on. There is, there is uh, computer forensics, which is uh, usually where, uh, like for instance, if, if they have a, um, a situation where there's a divorce 
and uh, something's happened to one of these spouses here, they'll go back and they'll look at the other spouse's communications on a computer, and they'll find out who he's been talking to and what kind of liaisons he's had with other people. There are crime scene forensics, and these are the guys who come in with the hazmat suits, and they'll look at a, a, a site, and they'll pick up hairs and bits of fabric, and they'll look for, uh, you know, drops of blood or uh, leaves and that kind of thing, and they'll pick it up, and they'll be able to piece together something and uh, come up with a, uh, an, an, an eventual idea of exactly what happened at that particular site. They will look for things even like, uh, this was very interesting. It was very detailed. They, they will look for things like even if somebody bit into an apple and, and they were knocked in the head when they were biting on the apple, the teeth prints on the apple will actually give them enough to be able to match dental records with, the, you know, this person, blah, 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 and all the way back through. They'll take the minutest details of what happened on a particular scene and they'll scour it for that. Forensic uh, forensic archaeology is when they'll find something like a mass grave or they'll find somebody in a, in a disaster where uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki and they'll go in and they'll find bits and pieces of people or uh, animals and so forth and they'll piece together what it is. All I'm, all I'm doing is exaggerating this idea of forensic. I wouldn't need you to hold on. Forensic dentistry, when there's nothing left but teeth. Forensic entomology, I really like this one. This is where they will go back in a crime scene. They'll look for insects. And these insects will tell what actually went on with the person or people who were there. Forensic graphology, which is the handwriting on ransom notes or poison letters or suicide notes or blackmail demands. They'll go in and they'll look at the writing and the, and the, you know, the, the kind of cursive words that they use and, uh, all the other things like the weight of hand, the slant, whether they use slang words or whatever else. And there's a whole, uh, area of science that's, that's, uh, dedicated to forensic graphology. Forensic pathology is when they will look outside and inside that person to find out what went on. I'm not going to give you details. Forensic psychology is somebody who will try to figure out why did they snap? Why did they do what they do? Why did they go off the deep end? Forensic toxicology is a branch of science that will look at all the chemicals and all the different things that are surround this murder scene or this crime scene and are trying to figure out exactly what it is that, that went on. Forensic evidence is usually gathered by uh, these, these guys who are very precise and they'll bring it together and they'll say this only could have come from this. This only could have come from uh, this kind of a weapon. So they'll say that, uh, you know, this person shot himself. But then they'll say, well, if somebody fires a gun, there's a little blast of gunpowder that comes over a person's hand when they shoot. Whether they, even if they're trying to be really careful, there's a little bit of gunpowder debris that lands on the person's skin who shot the gun. And sometimes if a murder is committed and, uh, you know, they have a gun in the person's hand who's supposed to have killed himself and there's no gunpowder residue on that person, they'll say, no, he didn't shoot the gun. Somebody put that gun in his hand after he was killed. All of that is forensics. All of that is included in the science of trying to figure out what, trying to figure out what went on. So when Paul uses this phrase, he said, the things of God are spiritually discerned, and he that is spiritual, he judges all things. 
So in other words, we as believers, we're going to sift through, not just take it because somebody says so, but we're going to take it back to the Word of God every time. And we're going to sift through things and figure out, okay, hey, this is solid. This matches with God's Word. And every time that we make a decision in faith, we want our direction to match God's Word. God is never going to lead us to do something that's contrary to His Word. And sometimes you've got to sift through the Bible to find out whether that's, that, you know, if there's any correlation between something that happened in the, in, in the pages of, of the Scripture to find out whether that's something that God, or how God would react to things. Sometimes we have to study that way. And sometimes people will come and say, well, I have a leading, or I have an idea, or I have a notion about something. Well, notions are good, ideas are great, we all have them, but they all may not be biblical. And that's where we need to start the work of sifting. Acts chapter 17 says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searching the scriptures daily whether these things were so. So here comes Paul in there, and now he's preaching justification through the blood of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're, they're the kind of people, they're commended in the Scripture, and they're noted in the Scripture for being open-minded enough and having a readiness of mind to say, well, if you're saying it's of the Bible, let's go back and see. And that's a good attitude to have. It's when people don't have an openness to the will of God and the Word of God, that's where problems. You'll never get through to those people. You never really will. God's going to have to crack that nut. Sorry. Now, Brother Branham says, and I want to underscore now how important this is. Revelation, Brother Branham says, shows that the Antichrist spirit would come. The book of Revelation shows that the Antichrist spirit would come into the church and defile it, making it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. Now, he's going to do that through deceit, right? Because deceit abounds in the last time. You remember when they asked Jesus the three questions and they said, when shall the end be and when shall all these things come to pass? You remember that? And his first words were, take heed that you be not deceived. So what's going to happen? The Antichrist is going to come into the church. I'm just reading what he says. He's going to come into the church and defile it, and he's going to make it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. One of the ways you make something lukewarm, or a group of people lukewarm, is that you cause them to have no trust in what they're supposed to have confidence in. Right? You know what? They don't care anymore. I mean, they've lost confidence in the ministry or whatever else, and they don't care. And they become lukewarm. He goes on and says, it exposes Satan, the book of Revelation does, it exposes Satan and reveals his works, attempted destruction of God's people and the discrediting of God's word. Hold on, did you get that? That's what Satan's work is, is to destroy God's people and discredit God's word. That's Satan's, that's his primary work. When he gets up out of bed in the morning and packs his lunch, this is what he's going off to do. He's trying to find a way to bring you down, and he's going to cause you to mistrust the very thing that we should have our absolute trust in. And he says, right down to the time he's cast into the lake of fire, he fights that. He cannot stand it. He knows that if, watch, he knows that if the the people get the true revelation of the true church and what she is, and what she stands for, and and, and that she can do the greater works, She will be an invincible army. So, all right, so when he gets up out of bed in the morning and packs his lunch, that's what he's heading out to do. When we get up in the morning, that's what we should be praying that God reveals to us. 
Lord, show me. Lord, reveal to me who I really am. And help me, Lord, to do the works that you would inspire me or empower me to do. And let me tell you, uh, that, that, that group of people right there, he says, will be an invincible army. Well, naturally, Satan would like to attack that kind of a, a group of people, right? If they get a true revelation of the two spirits within the framework of the Christian church, two spirits, yes, you remember John 13 when Jesus said, there's a field and there's sowers that go out. Then there's another enemy that come along and sowed another seed. Guess where they are? Same field. What did he tell them to do? Leave them both there until the harvest. So there's two spirits in the framework of the Christian church, and by God's spirit, they will discern and withstand the Antichrist spirit. Satan will be powerless before her. Let me say it again. If they get a true revelation of the two spirits within the framework of the Christian church, and by God's spirit discern and withstand the Antichrist spirit, Satan will be powerless. Let me tell you something. God wants you to have and exercise perfect discernment. Not just good discernment. He wants you to exercise perfect discernment. Because you will, you will, uh, you will render Satan powerless. Hey, I'm all for this. Forgive me for getting excited here, but I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm all for this. If, if understanding discernment and how to really sift through things to find the right answer helps me to make Satan powerless in my life, I'm all for it. Bring it on. Let's do it. Satan hates revelation, but we love it. With true revelation in our lives, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us, but we will prevail over them. Glory to God. All right. <clears throat> Now watch what Brother Branham says here. All right, he's in a he's in a prayer line here, and uh, he's giving an example here. Now I want you to follow because we want to look at some practical examples here of this idea. If I bring this woman up here and say, "The Lord sent me to pray for the sick. Let me lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. Glory to God, you're going to be healed." She's got a right to believe that. That's true. But she could doubt it whether I'm telling her the truth or not, if I just said those words. She could doubt it. But when the Holy Spirit comes and, dis- and speaks through my lips and tell her something she has been, that takes the kink out of it right there because she knows I don't know. In other words, when it comes to God vindicating his own, his own word, He has his own ways of convincing a person that this thing is of God. You've got to get beyond the veils that God will use. Brother Bram says if she can realize that even though my lips and my voice is actually saying the words, she has to know that that's the Holy Spirit because she knows I don't know anything about her life. But if I can tell her how this problem began or where the disease came from or what's going on in her life or what street she lives on or something, she'd know, I don't know that. Then it would have to be a higher power that knows that, right? Somebody is peering into an eternal realm and and telling me to say that. And my voice is saying it, but she's got enough discernment to realize this is not Brother Branham. This is a higher power that's actually saying it. Then you know what? That takes all the kinks out. Then we got, you know, bingo. We got the light that goes on here. And he says, she knows that I don't know her. It ain't the gospel. Uh, if that ain't the gospel, do you say, Brother Branham, well, you're the Messiah. Well, and now if you think that, it shows you got no spiritual discernment. So there are things that are co- that'll, that'll come that you need to take back to the Word of God and you realize, okay, that's, that, that's not scriptural. All right? That's not a problem. 
But Brother Man takes this a little bit closer with this woman here and says, she's got to look beyond the flesh, just like the woman at the well had to look beyond the flesh at Jesus for who he really was. You're the Messiah. You're not just a man, but you're the Messiah, right? And Brother Man says, this woman has got to look, in order for her faith to rise to the place where she can really apprehend what is for her, she's got to rise above this idea that this is just William Branham and his ministry, and he's kind of a different guy. This is actually Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is actually him on the spot. This is actually him, uh, you know, expressing himself through the mouth of a prophet in this last day. And if she's got that discernment, that level of discernment, you know what? She's, she's going to render Satan powerless. And that's what, he's, that's what he's telling us about this powerless thing. Your faith actually renders Satan powerless in a situation like that because your discernment has helped you realize what it is that's really going on. What is that's really happening here? You know what? This is, this is a move of God. This is, this is of God. And I can stand there and say, I believe. Just like Hattie Wright sat there, and she's looking at a bunch of people that she's known all of her life in the kitchen of her house. And she's looking at that, and Brother Bram's telling testimonies about what God did in creating the squirrels. And she's just sitting there, and she's, she's actually she's saying something very simple. That ain't nothing but the truth. But what she's doing is she's saying that this is not just a man, William Branham, telling a story. This is not just some religious testimony here. But rather, this is actually a move of God that I'm a part of, and God's allowed me to sit here and hear that and you know what something on the inside beyond logic and beyond understanding and beyond me being able to do it or even being there to see it but something or other registers on the inside i believe that that's of god and god sees that her discernment crosses over the barrier of the physical into another realm and picks it up and comparing that with scripture hey brother bram's not able to do that but god's able to do that But if you're getting a contrary notion here that I'm the Messiah, you know what? You've got no spiritual discernment. If you're taking that and believing that, you're running with something that doesn't fit in the confines of Scripture. Okay? Next next paragraph. He says, How could I be Messiah? I'm William Branham, a sinner saved by grace. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. His Holy Spirit's alive in us. And some of you people that wouldn't believe it This thing that makes people cry, shout, speak in tongues, that's the same spirit. Paul said, if one comes among you and all speak with tongues, they'll say they're crazy. But let one be a prophet and reveal the secrets of the heart. And then they'll fall down saying, God is with you. When the Spirit of God is actually doing something among the people, he says, they'll they'll fall down, let a prophet speak. The people who are ordained to receive a prophet in their age, they'll fall down and they'll say, hey, God is with you. I believe, I believe I can preach this message freely to you because you are this people who heard a prophet. And you know what? They, we fall down, we bow down before God, not William Branham, not, not the church or anything like that, not Jeffersonville. But we believe that God is with us. We believe that God is in this message. How many of you really believe that God's in this message? I mean, that's a kind of a <clears throat> self-evident question. Now, Brother Manum is if, if, you, if you think about this whole quote now, it's a great quote, it's a great statement here. But he's assuring us of something here 
that the conclusions we come to are not based on intellect. Your education doesn't matter here. Uh, there are some people who will always be intimidated by educated people. I mean, uh, I am. Should I not have said that? I mean, I mean you know what it's like when you, when you get somebody who's really smart and uh, really intelligent. You're always afraid of asking a really stupid question, right? You know, when it comes to questions and answers, you don't want to ask, you don't want to ask a silly question. You don't want them to say, I've already said the answer to that. You don't want to do that. Brother Branham's helping us to understand that making the right conclusion in this sense, the spiritual realm, has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with logic. You didn't learn any of this anywhere. This is something that the Holy Spirit reveals. And so, therefore, your, your conclusion is based on the discernment that only God can give you to be able to sift through something that you hear, to be able to sift through the evidence that's given and conclude properly that is of God. Or that is not of God, one or the other. That is a gift that comes from God. That is not something that we learn. We don't learn it because we've been going to church for so long. We do it because the Spirit of God's in you, and the things of God are spiritually discerned. Right? All right, let's go a little bit further now, because I want it to be real clear in your life. Now, for instance, in a practical sense, Brother Bram says before you get married, you have to decide on what girl you're going to make your wife. There's lots of girls that meet the qualifications. They, they fall within the right parameter. Uh, you young men that are, that are here are thinking about getting married. There's lots of girls that are between a certain age range, and they're single, and, uh, you know, they, they're, they're eligible, just like guys would be eligible. And you women have to decide on what man's going to be your husband. But this, this decision now is a pretty major one, because once you make it, you can't go back on it. And so that's what makes this one really critical. And, and here's a good example of where you need to have good discernment. And if you have children or if you have grandchildren or whatever else, you need to be praying that they make the right decision based on, you know, all, sifting as much as they possibly can. Because the consequences are not always nice. All right. Let me just give you a couple, five things here. I just want to give you five things that, that help us in, in terms of deciding whether this is the voice of God, whether it's my voice, the voice of others, or the voice of the devil, one or the other. And these are just five quick things here, that, and I'm not going to dwell on them at all because they'll be obvious. One of the things that, um, you know, we, we may get a thought about something or a notion about something, you have to consider your state of life. For instance, if you're a woman and you have a notion that you'd like to preach, your state of life kind of answers the question, right? Uh, I, you know, I've, I've often toyed with the idea, if I had another life, I don't regret my life, and I, I have enjoyed the ministry and what God's called me to do, absolutely. I, I, when I get there, I'm, I'm going to make, make mention of that. Uh, but I've thought if I had another life, I would, I would love to be a doctor. I'd love to be involved in medicine and helping people. I guess it's that same feeling that you have of, of wanting to help people. And um, I would think that, you know, now, uh, you know, at my age, two more years, I'm only kidding. But Ben reminds me of this all the time. Um, maybe if I went to medical school and became a doctor, 
You need to come up to me and say, hey, buddy, wake up. Ten years in medical school, you know, I'd be 75 years old and, you know, probably wouldn't be practical for me to be a. Because my station in life, in a sense, answers the question. Okay? So that's, that's, that's a, a thing that you could consider. Uh, and, you know, whether, whether you're able or in a position here to actually respond to something. Gifts and talents. God has made you a certain way. God has given you the ability to do certain things. So if I said to you that I'm going to uh, step down from the ministry and I've bought a, a motor home and I'm going to travel across the country, go to message churches and sing. Paula Fontaine, eat your heart out. I'm going to go sing and, and make that my ministry for the rest of You know what? It would be contradictory to the gifts and talents God's given me or not given me, one or the other. So when God leads, he leads in a, in a sense, in a way that's consistent with what he's already placed in you. And, and so that's important for us to recognize that. Young people are still sorting out what those gifts and talents actually are. Older people kind of have a pretty good idea of what those gifts and talents are. And they have a, you know, they have a sense of what God's placed them in the world to do. Younger people, you know, there's lots of, lots of area for development there, and there's lots of different ideas. I could do this, I could do this. Most young people think they can do anything. And so, therefore, uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes, uh, you know, shells in the gun that go off, and they don't, they don't really accomplish much, but that's not a problem. We just need to find the thing that God has really uh, given you to bless the body with, and then we develop that and work with that. But we're all given something to bless the body with. I would say that whenever uh, God leads you to do something, uh, he gives us also a desire to do it. Uh, there's a, a passion that we have. There's nothing wrong with having a passion for the things of God. If you're a missionary, um, somebody would have to have a passion to be able to go and uh, jump in a dugout canoe in Guyana and go up the river and, uh, you know, come to a place where, and the brothers were telling me, a couple of brothers last year, they, they, were, they did that and they, uh, they went up to, um, they, they were in a, literally a dugout log, burned out dugout log, and they went up the, the Amazon River and they came to a little clearing on the side of the river. Never saw anybody, but they came up to a little clearing. They pulled their log in off the river, and by the way, uh, the, the shipment that we're going to make to Guyana, where I'm, I've been collecting some things here to put over there, uh, one of the brothers who was on that trip ordered a bunch of life jackets from Amazon and sent them to my house, and we brought them down here because it's so treacherous on the Amazon River, and it's full of piranhas and all the other funny fish that are in there, which are not funny at all. And so he got them a bunch of life jackets and sent them to me, so we're going to send them down to Guyana. I think it's a great, that's a great thing. Never thought of that. But he said that they got up, they pulled up in a clearing, and, and one of the brothers jumped out of the log and, and pulled the log up on the beach, and all of a sudden there was two or three people there. And he said they got themselves all unpacked out of the log and got their gear out, and he said there was 15 people there. And then he said they went through the clearing a little bit, and there was 50 people there. He said and they had church. And, you know, let me tell you, uh, as romantic as that sounds, or as exciting as that sounds, You've got to have a passion. You've got to have a calling to do that, to deal with the heat and the mosquitoes and the food and all the other things that go on. And, uh, you know, if you've ever done that, some people will go once with me and that's it. I remember going the very first time up to Alaska. And I've always said that Alaska is a proving ground for missionaries. If you can survive in an Eskimo village up there, 
you can pretty much survive anything. And uh, some, of the, some of the boys have been with me. Some of the young fellows here have been with me up there. And uh, let me tell you, the conditions were rather rough uh, up in that part of the world. But you, and let me tell you, if, if God's laid it on your heart and you've got a desire to do that and to reach people in remote parts of the world, there's nothing stopping you. I mean, that, that doesn't turn off. That just, that just burns there day and night. And then there are other people who have a, you know, they're, they're equally satisfied to stay right where they are. And they function well right where they are. And they work nine to five and have a station wagon and have a house in the suburbs and two kids and a dog. And they're happy as clams. The fourth thing is that as you watch God develop your life and as you grow, God asks you to do something. Generally, it will be consistent with that pattern of, of growth in your life. Generally, God will ask you to do things that uh, will be consistent with how he's dealt with you over the years. If you're, for instance, if you're a pastor uh, and, and there's something new that opens up, uh, it'll, it'll probably be something in line with that. Now, sometimes God will come out of left field and, you know, he'll move us in a different place and sometimes move us into a different country and, uh, you know, different, you know, sometimes strange or unusual things that happen. And, uh, you know, God's people get moved around and juggle around in different, different circumstances. That's true. But most often, if God leads you to do something, it's going to be consistent with how he's dealt with you in your life. So Brother Branham, you remember, uh, you know, God called him to do a certain thing. And then he said, well, you know, I'm, I, I want to stop doing that, and I want to go and be like uh, John the Baptist in the wilderness and go in the wilderness and then only come out when uh, God tells me to come out and go down and say, thus saith the Lord, something to a person down here, and then go back up in the woods again. And God said to him, hey, you, you have your choice. You can do one or the other. But if you take that road, this is what's going to happen. If you take this road, this is what's going to happen. Because God meant him to do a certain thing. So he's not going to lead, God's not going to lead us inconsistent with the way he's dealt with us in life. And it's a very, very interesting thing to watch. The last thing, which probably should be the first thing, but I think it's good to give the scripture the last word. That whatever God leads you to do, it's going to be consistent with the Bible. How many can say amen? God is never going to lead you to do something contrary to the scripture. And so, therefore, uh, in a sense, that's the absolute that we have to measure everything by, like I said. Now, let's take this a little further here. Let's apply it. 1959, Brother Branham says, all that God promised to his church lays within the Holy Spirit. All that God promised to his church lays within the Holy Spirit. So if I get the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the true baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I have in me everything I need for the journey that's ahead of me. And the potential is there for him to reveal and develop whatever it is that is his will for my life. Are we okay? In other words... If everything that I have need of lays within the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's in me, then it's His decision now. It's His leading now. It's His emphasis now. It, it's, it's His discernment now. It's, it's, in other words, He's going to check me when I'm wrong, and He's going to encourage me and bless me when I'm right. 
He's going to let me know. He's going to urge me to do things that are consistent uh, with, the, with the Bible, obviously, and with the will of God and with the word for our day. He's going to be consistent with that. Uh, it's just like Brother Branham said, if, if I could take the spirit out of you and put the spirit of Beethoven in you, then you would write music, wouldn't you? Because it would be that spirit that guides you. It would be that spirit that inspires you. It would be that spirit that motivates you. Whereas if you had the spirit of John Dillinger, he said, you'd go out and you'd shoot somebody. But Beethoven would say, okay, I'll skip that. I'll skip murder this afternoon. I think I'll write a symphony. Because it's the inspiration that comes from whatever that spirit is. It overwhelms. It overrides that person, right? It's the guide. It's the leader. It's the counselor. It's the one who motivates that person to do something. Well, my goodness, there's nothing really better you could have than to have the Holy Spirit because then what lays within you is everything you have need of to get you from this place where you are and this body you live in to the right place that God ordained for you eternally. You're not going to get there otherwise because you don't know where to go when you die. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even know what's right in our day if it not, were not for the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus says himself, these are letters in red. He said, there will be false Christs and false prophets, and they will show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, it would deceive the very elect. So there's no way you'd be able to navigate intellectually through all the various ideas out there about the message, and there are lots of them. Hey, listen, there are some wacky ones. And there are some ones that are so close intellectually that it make you think. I remember one time my father-in-law told me, he said uh, he was at a meeting one time and a guy came and he had his turn to preach. And uh, he took a suitcase, had a suitcase with him instead of a Bible, put the suitcase up on top of the pulpit, opened it up, and he had a pillow that Brother Bram slept on. And he said, you're not a member of the bride unless you sleep on this. Okay. There's some things that are easily figured out. But there's other things, let me tell you. You you gotta think. You gotta you gotta be praying. You gotta you gotta start sifting. All right. <clears throat> Let's make this a little more complicated. Matthew five forty four. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The rain and the sun he's talking about here is the life-giving elements that come from God. Now, You've got you to gotta listen to this little quotation. It's only one screen long. Follow me here is what he says. Brother Branham actually gives away the end of the play in this paragraph 46. The end of the, of the whole message, anointed ones in the end time, is summed up in this one paragraph. And if you understand this paragraph, the whole message, anointed ones of the end time, really makes sense to you. Because he's, he's making a statement here that is, in a sense, hard to believe. The same Holy Spirit that anoints the church gives them a desire to save souls, gives them power to perform miracles, it falls on the, on the unjust the same as the just, the same spirit. So stop. There's not a false spirit 
falling on the false ones. And the Holy Spirit falling on the true elect. It's the same Spirit falling out on all of them. Now remember what I just said about the Spirit of Beethoven versus the Spirit of Dillinger, John Dillinger? The Spirit is the one that influences. The Spirit is the one that overrides the human spirit. That's why you can take a rank unbeliever and bring him into a service, and they'll, they'll begin to sing and praise the Lord and everything else. Because Brother Branham said, the Holy Spirit in a meeting is powerful enough to raise the evil spirits off people and allow them to, to conduct themselves just like a believer. It doesn't mean they're converted. It means that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the spirit that's on them. When they go out, they'll go right back to the bar. They'll go right back to the same kind of music that they listened to before because they don't have a true conversion. They only have the influence of that Holy Spirit that's present. Are we okay? So Brother Manum's telling us that the rain that falls on the unjust, it's not two rains. It's one rain. The sun that falls on the good and the evil, it's not two suns. It's one sun. You can't make it another way and understand Matthew 24, there shall arise false Christ. Anointed with the genuine thing, but be false prophets of it, false teachers. The right spirit falling on the wrong person, teaching something that's incorrect, but it's the genuine Holy Spirit. So there will be things they will do that will look just like the real. You know what you're going to have in a case like that? Discernment. Because I can, I mean, you can go into a church and you can hear somebody, man, they can quote the message and they can, they can fire it off like a shotgun. And, uh, you know, they can, they can really be impressive with what they would say. But it doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that they're right. And it doesn't always mean that what they're teaching is right. Because, like Brother Bram said, they're anointed, but they would be false prophets, false teachers. But it's the same spirit that falls on all of them. So in anointed ones at the end time. Now remember, this is like the end of a quest that Brother Branham has all the way from Michigan back up there. You remember when he went to Michigan up there to, uh, to preach? And uh, there was, uh, uh, you know, he was observing the phenomena among the Pentecostal people. And he was looking at them and saying, you know, here's a man who's speaking in tongues and another man's prophesying. And this one man is, is prophesying uh, something that is absolutely the truth. Absolute, he, one man speaking in tongues, this other man's prophesying, interpreting of that, and it's absolutely the truth. And Brother Bram, with the gift that he has, he knows to wait long enough, and he looks, and he goes into a vision, and he sees this man, he's living in adultery with another woman who's not his wife. That's what living in adultery is. And there's another woman here, and he's involved with her. And Brother Bram's scratching his head and saying, my goodness, how could this be right? How could this be the true thing he said? And this man is living in adultery here. And Brother Bram, you know, he's, he, all of a sudden, he's, he's got a question. It's all right to have a question. It's, it just, just be sure that you don't give up on God when you do have a question. Because if there's a question, there's got to be an answer, right? It's all right to have a question. So Brother Man goes on for years and years and years until you remember he's out in the woods one time and the wind blows the pages of his Bible open and he comes to this place where the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And then eventually God gives him the revelation of anointed ones at the end time. And he's saying this here. That's the true, genuine Holy Spirit that's falling on the man who's prophesying and the man who's interpreting. It's the same Holy Spirit. And he's got the answer as to how that could be. 
Because he said in another place, true discernment will always take things back to the Word of God. Always take it. It's got to be an explanation back in the Word of God. So you can see how important this is. That just because people say, I'm in the message, or just because people say, I preach, or whatever else, that doesn't make them right. Hey, listen, it doesn't make me right. I don't have a buy just because I'm the pastor here. I don't have a, a, a pass just because, I, it's not, I don't have a right to say whatever I want to say just because I'm a pastor in the message and I've been for a lot of years. That doesn't make, that doesn't make me automatically right. You don't have seniority. Hello? None of us have seniority, whether you're preaching it or listening to it, one or the other. We don't have seniority. Let me tell you, it's, it's our obedience to the Word of God. It's, it, God knows the heart, right? God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at your ministry, folks. God looks at the heart. And He knows who's got it. And He knows who's really believing it. Now, <clears throat> again, and He careth for you, and, and for this cause He said, many are weak and sickly among you. The Lord's body is the church, and we do not have spiritual discernment enough to care one for another. We cast our cares upon him because he cares for you. Men take the short route, shortcuts. And what makes them do that is because God, when he made man, he didn't make man to do that. He made man to be happy, to have satisfaction, to be comforted. God doesn't want his children to be uncomfortable. Now, let me just, let me just take this for a moment here and kind of work through this. When Solomon was placed as a king, he was in a place where he and God were, he was praying and he was communing with God. And he, he, made this, he made this prayer, and this is just a selection out of the prayer. God says to him, you know, ask whatever it is that you would want to have to be able to lead my people. And this is a very important position. He's, he's the second ordained king. Uh, that Israel ever has. He says, Give therefore thy servant, this is what Solomon asked for, an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And the, and the, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Give me an understanding heart to be able to judge, that I can discern between what's coming from God and what's not. i got to know what's coming from God and what's not. And give me that kind of a heart. Now, Israel was blessed, and God honored this request that Solomon made, uh, and, and Israel enjoyed years of peace and years of prosperity over this time. And there's been no duplicate of that time ever since, uh, ever since then, and won't be until the millennium. The millennium will be uh, a, a, like a natural fulfillment of this time under Solomon, where everything was peaceful. People, the enemies laid down their swords. They didn't uh, attack Israel. You'll find Solomon fighting no wars. And that's the way it was. And part of it was because God honored this heart that the king had. Now, eventually, strange women got him away from this, and the end of his life is a little bit different here. We'll see him in heaven. But the end of his life is a little bit different. But the, the thing that he asked for and the thing that God gave him was that wisdom. And we talked about a little bit about it on Sunday, where God gave him that wisdom to be able to, be able to discern between the good and the bad. Because if this is thy people, if this is God's people, then I'm going to need the wisdom of God in order to judge this people. There's no, there's no other way to do it than to have the wisdom of God. <clears throat> now, let me just jump ahead to something here. 
choosing of a bride, Brother Bram says God's first Adam didn't have any choice for his wife. So we find out that she led him astray from God's word, and he didn't get to pray over the matter. Her motives and objectives were simply wrong. And how many women today and men that could pull a good woman away from God or pull a good man away from God by trying to tell him, well, this religion is old-fashioned and you better pray hard before you marry that girl. You better pray hard before you marry that girl. I don't care how pretty she is. Same thing to a man. She persuaded him out of the will of God. And that's why the Bible forbids her to teach and preach and handle God's word in any manner. And I know, sister, that many of you say, well, the Lord called me to preach, and I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to tell you that the Word says for you not to do it. So that's why the Word always has the last say. That's why Brother Branham, when he saw that Sunday school teacher in his church, and she was actually holding an adult Sunday school class, and Brother Branham came into the back lobby, I think I told you before, and uh, he, he heard her, and she was preaching. She just wasn't holding Sunday school. And he talked to her, and off she went. She never came back again for the... Uh, for that role in the church. And now you can go down through downtown Jeffersonville and you can see the college that she started for women preachers. That's there. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, um, Brother Branham's obligation was to the Word of God. Even if it cuts across the people's feelings, his obligation is to the Word of God. And I believe that things like that happen to Brother Branham to give us an example of how things really should be. Now, be not unequally yoked together, Paul says, with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what concord, he said, has Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So there are certain things, as Paul reiterates, and he's taken all of that from uh, the Old Testament principle where God made Israel and made them a separate people, and he's letting us know in the New Testament that equally so, there are some things that don't go together. And emotionally, we will try to put things together. We'll think this is a good fit. We'll think this looks good. And all we're doing is judging on that external realm. And that's where we have to be careful. Because even in our comments, and even in our, uh, you know, commendation of people, that's why, well, I can be careful what I say. Um, it, it's, it's very important for us to make sure that we respond correctly to people and to things that happen around us. Because just because it's someone we know, it doesn't always make it right what they're up to. What everyone is up to, what everyone is listening, what everyone is wearing may not always be right. So I don't have to hit the like button on everything just because I know that person. Amen. Paul is telling us exactly the same thing, that when it comes to uh, separation, 
there are certain things that God wants to go together. And there are certain things that should go together because that's the will of God. But it may not be physically apparent, but it is the will of God. Your job is to sift down through there. And that's why it's one of the hardest things for a young man and a young woman who are all, uh, you know, I mean, they're all nerve endings, right? I mean, it's just, just emotional. They'll just turn into a pile of mush at a heartbeat. You know, despite the good teaching and despite all the things that they've heard, they'll fall into a pile of mush when some guy, you know, pays attention to a girl and they feel like, oh, I'm 16, I'll never have another chance. No one else will ever love me like he does. Paul is telling us that we had to be careful in the same way that Brother Branham is telling us the same thing. And he says this over and over. And he says this right from the very first quote that I gave you there. That when it comes to discernment, it is more than just looking at the surface of things here. He says, if I tell this woman that she's absolutely healed, she can doubt that because she's only hearing it on this level. But when the Holy Spirit confirms that, that's that's a different experience. And I'm telling you that I believe that when it comes to major decisions like this, and he's talking about marriage and there's a bunch of other statements that I have here, you want to be searching for something other than this guy is popular or this girl is pretty. You want to go below that and you want to, you want to find out whether this person's a believer and you want, to, you want to sift down through there. Is that okay? You want to sift down through there. And parents, you're not old-fashioned if you encourage your children to do that. And to pray about those things and to, you know, to really wait on God and make sure because there's no going back on this uh, once we make those choices and we make those commitments. There's no going back to that. So therefore, it's important to talk about it in church. It's important for parents to be involved. It's important for us to, uh, you know, take this relationship out of the closet and we allow people, you know, to interact and to comment and to pray with you about it. That's not a bad thing at all. Because there's nothing more deceptive than human emotion. And so God's counter to that is the discernment that He gives to us by the Word of God. So with a real baptism of the Holy Spirit, He gives you something that is only satisfied when it lines up with the Word of God. And somehow or another there's a connection, there's something right about it, and you feel like you can make that step in faith. God wants us to do that. He wants us to to make the steps that we need to make in faith. He wants us to make those steps with real confidence. He says, you men here that are married, he says, why did you marry your wife? You had confidence and faith that she'd make a real wife and a mother. Women, the same thing. Sweethearts thinking of marriage. You're studying the man you'll marry or the girl you marry. You must have faith in them or you better not marry him. I will tell you this. I think that applies in the spiritual realm as well. I think you need to be convinced that Jesus Christ, he's the one for you. And he's the one I'm going to follow. He's the one I'm going to commit to. He's the one I'm willing to lay down my life for. He's the one I'm willing to follow. He's the one I want to dominate my life. Because I believe he's the one and only for me. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. We live in a culture that secularizes the holy and minimizes the teachings of Scripture. They trivialize Christianity, vilify authorities. And as a result of that, the only place you're going to hear, uh, only, the only place you're going to hear about an absolute like the Word of God is, is in a, an atmosphere like this or in your own uh, home, your own study. That's the only place you're going to hear that. But in our world, it's trust science, right? In our world, it's trust the, the politicians or trust whoever else. 
But we don't find any other influence that's pointing you back to the Word of God every time. And so energetically pointing us back to the Word of God like you will find when you come among believers. Believers have this one thing in common. They always want to go back to the Word of God. That's where there's a subtle feeling. That's where there's a peace that passes understanding. I am glad we have an absolute. There is, to me, uh, I just... I just feel for the people that don't have one. I feel for the people that are out there floating around and, and uh, just, just wandering. Jesus, we're depending on you. We're depending on you, Sister Julia. Hit the right key. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you, depending on you. Bring it up just a bit. See us through. Sing it again now. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. What key is that? Jesus, oh, we're depending on you, depending on you. See us through again, Jesus. We're depending on you, Jesus. We're depending on you, Jesus. We're depending on you, depending on you to see us through. And I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected, run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. Earth all around is sinking sand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock, I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected, run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me, earth all around is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, go to the rock. And God still moves. God still moves. In the hearts of His people, God still moves. does not sleep, nor does he slumber. God still moves. God still moves. One more time now. Yes, God. 
especially tonight, Lord, for our young people and, Lord, seeing their lives ahead of them and the, the choices and decisions, Lord, that await them. Father, I pray that they would develop their senses, Lord, to discern between good and evil. And living in the end time, Lord, we have many resources that we can draw from, but we also have many temptations and we have many deceptions that exist. We have many voices, Lord, that are sounding in our time. But, Lord, may we learn to listen to that one true voice, voice, Lord, that always brings us back to the Word of God. And Lord, even though this may in one sense be repetitive, it may be a similar theme, Lord, that we've heard. Lord, it's important for us to be reminded that when the world is being pulled so strongly in a certain direction, Lord, we as believers, we resist that when we know it's not of God. But Lord, it's not just enough to resist it's important for us to be led because sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so give us strength and courage, I pray, to be able to stand in an evil time. And Lord, to be able to know that we are walking in harmony with you. We thank you, Lord, for your guidance. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you, Lord, because you are everything you ever were. And you still are the same today. You're still a healer, Lord. And we thank you for uh, giving the, the brothers, Lord, the ministers, the, the victory over this virus, Lord, and sending them back home again. And, Lord, the different ministers and different ones, Lord, who are reaching out to you tonight, Lord, for different needs. And many of them are unspoken. But, Father, we just commit them to you now. Lord, for our own assembly here, we, we ask that you would just continue, Lord, to have your hand of protection upon us. Keep us free, Lord, from any sickness and trouble. May your angels encamp around about us, Lord, in a very real way. We just want to say we love you, Lord. We're thankful that we're people of the book. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us open eyes to be able to see in such a dark hour. May our light shine. And may, Lord, our, may our confession, Lord, may it be positive and true. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless the balance of our week, Lord, we pray. Bless every family as represented. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And for your glory, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We've been made more than conquerors. Leave it in there, if you will. We've been made more than conquerors. Overcomers in this life, we've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. Again, weep in me. Overcomers in this life, we've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming tonight. May God bless you. Be in prayer for uh, the folks who are not well. We've got several uh, in the assembly, and we just want to. Trust that the Lord will deal with hearts. And may God bless the balance of your week. And we appreciate each and every one of you. God bless you tonight as you go. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious. blood of Jesus Christ overcomers in this the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing praises to your name. Oh, praises to Oh, Lord, praises to your